Psalm 26, uh, I came across this psalm just in my own devotional reading this week. And as I came across it, what leapt out to me was uh, the Lord wanted to use this to speak to us this morning. The title of the message this morning is Freedoms, Frustrations, and the Faithfulness of God. As we begin to emerge now from the COVID stuff, uh, we're bumping into, I think, what are compounding confusions on why things are happening the way they are and what we think should be happening and whether it lines up with what we want or not. We're bumping into frustrations on what we're being asked to do while, while we're emerging and getting back to life. Uh, I, I have been frustrated this week. This has been two weeks ago, I battled discouragement. This week, it was frustrations that were all the annoyances in me. And, and it was frustrations from the things that should be giving me joy, uh, repositioning cameras. The projector decided to break a few weeks ago, and I waited here all day Friday for a new projector that never came. And so, thank the Lord. I mean, I had a scissor lift. I'm going up and down trying to fix things. It has been a, just a frustrating week, uh, frustrating that, uh, and this is where, I'll be honest with you, I'm typing out the email, inviting everybody to come back to church, and I'm giving a list of reasons on why not to come back to church. And it annoyed me, completely annoyed me. I, I must have sat there for a good 10 minutes, editing, reviewing, and then thinking, this is just miserable. Why do we have to sign up to come to church? And the mask thing. I'm annoyed by the masks. I, li- I don't like wearing, I don't like the, the heat of my own breath. I don't like the smell of my own breath. I don't like the masks. And I'm going back to all the way in the beginning when they said, oh, the mask is not going to prevent you from getting uh, COVID-19. I want to throw that back in everybody's face. So I, I have been frustrated this week. I have been annoyed. But this is what I needed. I needed an attitude adjustment. And I, I think the Lord is inviting all of us into, as your pastor, I got to have the attitude adjustment first, and now I got to bring everybody in on the attitude adjustment. We all are in need of an attitude adjustment, about our opinions, about getting back to life and the, stru- the frustrations that we are facing. You know, I, I realized this week that my, and really the, the first word, the first two words of this psalm are what got me in my attitude adjustment. Uh, I have been more frustrated because my comfort and conveniences have been messed with. It's reminded me to ask the Lord for what he's, he's shaking off, like we looked at last week in Hebrews 12. What is he shaking off so what he wants to remain will remain, and we learn the lessons that he's trying to get across with us. I needed this psalm in my life this week. And I believe it will serve us. But here, I don't, I don't give a warning to my sermons much ever. Uh, if you have toes, they're going to be stepped on today. So at home, uh, curl them back up in your sofa. Put your blanket over them. If you feel safer that way. We've got toes, and the Lord wants to address us. And he wants to address our hearts. He wants to address our minds so the priority list that we went through last week, 
God, family, and I forgot to include family is immediate family. God, family, church, work. Priority for us that we need to be able to live by. So Psalm 26, let's hear what the Lord has for us. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with the men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud. And telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground in the great assembly. I will bless the Lord. This is the word of the Lord God. Have your life come alive in us, we pray. You know, we've been hearing the saying that this has been an unprecedented season of life and nothing like this has ever happened. And that's true for us in our lifetimes. But we have to remember... uh, Pandemics and stay-at-home orders, they're not new to God's people. That's why the Psalms are so very helpful for us. You know, if we believe that all of this stuff didn't take God by surprise, then we need to trust His faithfulness that He will equip us and empower us to live accordingly within this season. And as the Psalms help us, they, they help us find context for today's experiences because the Psalms address the heart. They, addressed, they address how, how, here is King David, they address how David's heart is interacting with God. And that's, that's what we do. We always focus on our situations, but God is always wanting to focus on our hearts. And the Psalms help us by looking at the, being honest with the situation around, but also saying, God, it's my heart that needs to, needs to be worked on right now. King David's experience in this psalm gives us wisdom for our experience today. And specifically, his understanding of how to cope with this situation serves to adjust our petty complaints. Remember, King David, whenever he's talking about enemies, he's talking about people who really want him dead. They want to kill him. He's got enemies we have annoyances. He has enemies. He can help us, but, but it helps put our, our complaints into perspective. You know, my concern for us as God's people within our homes as a church is I, I, I think we have been whining more than we've been serving. And I use the word whining on purpose because we, we think our, just our kids whine and complain. No, we do. Why? We might not be saying it out loud, but we certainly are thinking it. So here's our, our main point for today. Our walks 
need to be informed by God's faithfulness. It's not us churning up what we think life should be like. We have to look at God. I appreciated the song we sang. God is so good. It helps remind us and reflect on the, the, the years of how God has been good to us. And he's so good. And that goodness will continue. That goodness is a demonstration of his faithfulness to us and our daily walks. And that's what Scripture talks. That our, our journey with him is a walk. And it's to be informed and inspired by God's faithfulness. Now, our walks consist of freedoms. We have freedom in our walk with Christ, and we sang a song about that as well. But here's, here's my question. Are we focused on the right freedom? Now, the first point would be freedoms. Remember, freedoms, frustrations, and the faithfulness of God. Here, this is what caught my attention this week as I sat to... Uh, was in my office and I opened the word and I'm reading and all of a sudden vindicate me stood out. And I was immediately convicted because I have been asking God to vindicate me. But what he did was put, he put my, my desire for vindication and the object of my vindication, uh, he, he, he took that to task and that's what I needed help with. David's request for vindication in this verse, is his desire for God to prove him right. He's surrounded by evil and he wants to be proven right, that his word and his judgment as king is proven right. He, he points to his consistent walk with the Lord. God, I've been honest with you. I have, I have been honorable. My integrity is before you. He also said, I haven't wavered. This has been without wavering. And that's, most, that's more than most of us can say. But look at this, God, uh, David's asking God to prove him right amid the wickedness and the evil he's surrounded by, but where does David ask for that vindication to take place? He doesn't say, vindicate me and destroy everybody that disagrees with me, like what usually would be our prayer. He says, vindicate me in my heart and in my mind. David isn't pointing the finger away from himself onto others or other situations. He's, he's saying, God, take me to task. Take my own heart and my mind to task. He's not asking God to be on the same page with him, but he's, he's saying, God, I need to be on the same page with you. What are you doing? And I need to get there in my heart. Now, what we do in our own vindication, I think we say two things. One is, bless my opinion, Lord, Prove my opinion correct. It's usually uh, occurring that we are asking God to bless our opinions rather than asking him to adjust our opinions. Do we recognize that? Are we quicker just to spout off what we think without saying and using that filter, God, what do you think about what I'm getting ready to say right now? What do you think about what I'm really dealing with? What do you think with what I'm thinking. We love our opinions, friends. We love our opinions, and we think that everybody needs to agree with our opinions, and we find other people that have the same types of opinions, and then we have this little collection, and we say, this little committee that we form, and we think, see, if everybody just thought like us, everybody, everybody would be good. If we just all agreed on the same things, everybody would be good, right? 
We, we arm ourselves uh, with, we, we will take expert opinion about things we don't, really don't know anything about. But we will arm ourselves with a few articles and videos. And then we will carry our opinions as fact. Now, if anything, the internet age has taught us is that we should never, ever trust the internet. Whether it's an article or a video. Because there's always a rebuttal. There's always a rebuttal. God's word talks about that. You just have to wait long enough to get the other side of the story. Which John Stossel years ago did the other side of the story, and his was always good. I always said, that's very helpful information. Because he really did look at both sides. But are we, are we more in touch with our opinions during this emerging? Or are we asking God to... Not, not prove our opinions right or, or convince other people of our opinions or are we asking him to adjust our opinions? Now, the second thing that we say when we say prove me right, God, is we will say bless my convenience, Lord. Now, we don't say this outright because we know that's selfish, but we act as if God should bless our conveniences. Because if we think about it, our opinions have a lot more to do with our comfort and convenience than we, we probably want to admit. We have strong opinions when we are inconvenienced. I have a strong opinion about masks because I don't like my breath. I'm inconvenienced. So I have an opinion about that. And I'm going to get some facts to back that up. We have a freedom to have opinions. We do have that freedom. But is our desire for vindication so we will be promoted above others to force them to conform to our standards? Or are we putting ourselves before God fully in order for his thoughts and wisdom to prevail in our hearts? David asked God to prove and try him. Do we ask God bold things like that? He's saying, God, test me. God, refine me. We like to run from the fire of refining. He's saying, no, bring the fire of refining, God. I need it. Because he understood that he needed to, he needed to reflect God amid all the, the frustration of the surrounding brokenness that was around him. See, David's asking God to change him while he faces uncertainty. What we uh, may be doing with our opinions and our desire for convenience is we are complaining about the uncertainty rather than asking God to give us proper perspective during the uncertainty. Here's the big question. Are you asking God to change you during this pandemic or are you asking God to change everything else so your life can be easier? So we have a freedom but my, I want to draw out two different freedoms. Are we free to live or are we free to love? What I have bumped into over the past several weeks uh, has to do with our freedom to live. I've come across comments about how the government is impinging on our freedom to congregate as churches. They shouldn't be doing that. We can... You can go other places. We can't go to church. It's just wrong for them to do that. The pastor outside Baton Rouge was using this argument uh, when he was questioned about why he was still meeting as a church in the midst of everything shutting down, staying at home. He said, we have a right to meet. That's what he said. We have a right to live. We have freedom to live as we want as Americans. As believers, though, 
Are we commissioned to fight for our freedom to live as we want? Or is there another greater commission? An eternal commission. See, we are free. But we're free to love so Christ's life will shine through us. We, we don't fight for our right to live a particular way. We, f- we have a freedom in order to serve like Jesus did. Now, I am so very thankful for the freedoms that our country provides and the men and women who serve to protect our freedoms. I am forever grateful for them. But I'm concerned as Christians we're fighting the wrong battle. And the gospel is being clouded. The question with the, the pastor in Baton Rouge, uh, was the effect of that pastor, were the effects of his actions, were people thinking well of Christ after interacting with him? Or were they thinking he was just an idiot? And then see those, those Christians giving the world another opportunity to have an angst against God's people. All right, but let's bring this home. When people interact with you, when they're interacting with us, do our comments slash rants, because all of us have ranted. Every single one of us has ranted in the past several weeks. Do our comments and rants, rants bring light to the gospel or to what we think is our freedom as individuals? Our personal freedoms, are not grateful for the country we live in, but our personal freedoms are not a biblical mandate. The Great Commission does not include the Bill of Rights. Toes just got stepped on. The Great Commission teaches them all that the Founding Fathers put as the first ten amendments to the Constitution. No. But does the world have, does the people who interact with us, do, do they have a better sense of our defending of, of the Bill of Rights and our freedoms, or are they in touch with Jesus when they interact with us? We are free indeed. We are freed from sin to love Jesus and to love like Jesus did. We're freed from, so we are freely choosing to be Jesus' servants. See, we're not free just to do what we want. We're free to do what Jesus wants. Galatians 5, verses 1 and 13 say this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you, will call, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Are people in touch with our desire to serve? Or do they hear our whining about how we just don't like things? The freedom Paul's reminding believers of is is a freedom from sin in relating to God. Not freedom in relating to governmental authorities. And that's, that, was not, uh, that was a concept to the New Testament believers. They would want Paul to say, can we just overthrow the government? Can we stop 
obeying the government, please. Because it's the Romans. This guy thinks he's a god. This Caesar thinks he's a god and he wants everything. It's, it's ungodly. What do we do? What is Paul's response to New Testament Christians? Submit to them and pray for them. That's what he's telling us. Paul tells Christians to become servants. And he modeled that, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He described that. He said, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. Paul's saying, I didn't have to do that stuff. I chose to. Why? Because the gospel is going forward and he wanted to see the effect in the people that he was interacting with. So he said, I don't want to get in the way of the gospel proclamation in your heart or gospel life in your heart. I want to come alongside what God's doing and I'm not going to create and throw up a barrier that we need to now deal with so the gospel can come into you. He says, I'm trying to remove the barriers. Really, he's saying what Jesus always, just he wants to have a caring disposition toward people in his life. We need to have a caring disposition. Is the posture of our hearts on our personal freedom or on serving others? We must understand the difference between fighting for natural freedom and serving from a spiritual freedom. So this is what that means. We obey governing authorities. When they're not asking us to sin, we obey them. And we do it with a glad heart. Remember as you were raising kids, or if you can think back to when dinosaurs roamed the earth and you were a kid? When you just, you had to obey your parents and you didn't want to. And you had to, it was a struggle, wasn't it? And you're trying to figure out, and maybe your parents said, nope, you need to change your attitude in order to do it with a happy heart. It's like, <laughs> there is no happiness in this heart, and I do not want to obey right now. But usually when you obeyed, there was blessing on the other side. Right? And we try to instill that in our children as they're growing up, as they're young. We said, no, no, it's going to be better for you if you obey. You're going to be blessed, even if it's just with a piece of a good relationship with mom and dad. That, that's a blessing. So look, we, we still interact with authority in our lives, spiritual authority within the church and governing authorities in civil life. And that means there's blessing for us when we obey. It's a blessing that Paul referred to in 1 Corinthians 9. We're being asked to serve. That's what the government's doing. Okay? Can you just serve other people? If you're sick, stay home. If you're high risk, it's probably better for you to stay home. We'd like you to wear a mask. I already said, masks annoy me. 
But as a Christian, I should be leading the way, not as just as a pastor, as a Christian, I should be leading the way to serve others. Because that's what Jesus did. You know what Jesus said? This is a, a long missed verse in Matthew 5, verse 41. He says this, Jesus said this, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. You know what leapt out at me when I read that verse? Forces you. What? I'm American. You can't force me to do anything. Jesus said, if anyone forces you to go a mile, go another mile. Go two. Jesus, our Savior, said that. We should be obeying. So that means in our homes, when we're forced to do things we hate, and when we go to the store, and when we go to work, and when we're just existing, it's a caring disposition that serves. Why? For the sake of the gospel. So the gospel, a barrier is not put up to the gospel, and we can have opportunity to share Christ's love and share his greatness. It's for the sake of the gospel that we use our freedom to serve. So look, we're in need of proving and testing in our hearts and minds so we can be on God's page. Now there's a second aspect to life, and that's the frustrations. David is honest with his surroundings. He has socially distanced from evil. Look, I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly... I will not sit with the wicked. God, I'm away from that. I have distanced myself from evil, but we all know this. David knows it. Evil doesn't respect the same distancing. Even though we're backing up, evil doesn't back up from us. And that's David's experience. He's surrounded by evil and evildoers. His prayer is to not get swept away with them. Now look, David's proximity to evil reminds us that we ourselves are in the midst of a spiritual battle. And it takes a toll on our hearts. It takes a toll on our minds and our relationships. And the evidence of the battle, I think, shows up in our frustrations in life. When things just don't go well. So look, three helpful thoughts and thinking through the frustrations we might be experiencing. The first is opportune times. You remember when uh, Jesus was in the, uh, the wilderness and the devil tempted him and he responded with scripture and the devil left him? It says he waited, the devil waited for an opportune time. I think part of the spiritual battle that we, we face is that when things are going well, the enemy is just waiting for an opportune time to come and attack. When we're frustrated when things aren't going, what we, we, we're, we're trying things, they're not happening, things just aren't showing up when we'd like them to, it could be that we're just in, a, in the midst of a heightened spiritual battle. And these opportune times bring a heaviness of darkness, of depression and discouragement. Sometimes it's helpful to recognize maybe I'm not battling discouragement or something I've done or somebody's done to me. It's just the heaviness of a spiritual war that we're in. And in that spiritual war, with those opportune times, we need to recognize who the enemy is. Paul helps us in Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So listen, the enemy is not your spouse, 
The enemy's not your children. The enemy's not even your boss or your neighbor. Look, not flesh and blood, but rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness. The spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, there's spiritual warfare going on. Now we have the confidence to know that Jesus is with us, but, but we feel that battle, don't we? We feel it when we, we feel the darkness, we feel the depression, we feel the discouragement. So what's the answer to that? We have to, in the opportune times, recognize the enemy uh, and also recognize that redemption, our redemption is the victory that we have. We don't have to cower under the pressure of warfare. We stand firm in the love of God. We have the promises, promises that no spiritual battle or battle with our flesh will separate us from God. Uh, Paul tells, tells the Romans in Romans 8, we're more than conquerors because of Christ. He says in Romans 8, 37 to 39, and all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from him. No amount of spiritual battle, no amount of personal sin can separate us. There is a spiritual war, but we have the victory. And we have to operate in that victory because of our redemption. We have it through Christ. Now, what what about faithfulness? Because our response to the freedoms and the frustrations and adjusting our opinions is to respond out of faithfulness. I walk in your faithfulness. So what is God's faithfulness? We remember his, and David's always drawing attention to his steadfast love, his patience, his kindness. A few scriptures from the Psalms. In Psalm 36, verse 5, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. That's a really deep faithfulness. That is to show up in our spiritual battle, that we're reminded of, in our desire to serve others. His faithfulness to us is to the clouds. It's actually repeated, I think, three or four times. Four in the Psalms and other Psalms. Psalm 40, verse 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Oh, it's his faithfulness that preserves us. Psalm 115, verse 1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. God has been with us and he is good to us. His faithfulness is what we need to be reminded of in order to to continue to walk and to walk empowered. 2 Timothy 2, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, uh, in his this letter is like his final encouragement to Timothy because he's getting, he knows he's getting ready to face his death. Paul tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I, I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. That's what we have to recognize during any season like this. 
The Word of God is not, doesn't have a stay-at-home order. The Word of God is not quarantined. And we've got to be able to see that to be able to know how then to live toward it. God, how, how do I demonstrate gospel light and life because it's not bound, even though I might feel bound and jailed up. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Listen, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The essence of God giving himself him, giving us himself in redemption is his faithfulness. He says, I'm, I'm here, and I'm going to continue to be here. I am faithful to you. So if he's faithful... It's to be demonstrated and revealed in our own faithfulness. Verse 7. In this uh, psalm, if you kind of look at it, if you turn the psalm on its side, from the first stanza and the last, it kind of moves like this to a point. And that point is verses 6 and 7. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. See, part of operating and walking in God's faithfulness is to give declaration and proclamation to His faithfulness to us. Telling of His wondrous deeds. Uh, this should cause us to, it, it, it informs our words, it seasons our words, whether that's on social media or, or through a conversation with somebody. Our, our, our words need to bring people to Jesus. And proclaim his thanksgiving, proclaim his wondrous deeds. But then he also includes, in verse 8, O Lord, I love the habitation of your house. And then in verse 12, my foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. Here's the deal. Our faithfulness looks like our connection to and our desire for church together. Now, if you excuse me, y'all are here talk to the camera for everybody that's not here I have to step on their toes a little bit so pardon me as I look at that camera now we are called to be a church and Paul tells the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 14 that when we gather the spirit is made manifest I want to appeal to you if you have gotten used to and desirous of a live stream, streaming because you just know, oh, I can do something else and I can do church later. Sitting at home, watching church is not church. Now, we're grateful to be able to have it. We're going to continue having it. But it should be a matter of necessity that you watch church from home, not an issue of convenience. We are a church. And we are called to be together as one body. Now, part of my frustration this week is that when I sent out a call to attend church, this room is not full even to 25% capacity. Now, I know some of you are like, you know what? I'm going to wait, let other people. Our church is not big enough for that. And when I sent out a second call, 
Nobody responded. So I'm stepping on your toes, your little convenient toes. That's what I'm stepping on. Do not let this uncertain season have have a control over you to where it makes you lazy when it comes to being the church. God, God gives us grace as we are together. As, as my heart is full, watching people in front of me, interact with the Word with me, we all need that. We all need the camaraderie and the fellowship. We need the joy that leaps in our hearts. The most frustrating thing today is I can't hug all of you. I want to hug everybody. Because it's how we're wired. We need it. You stay at home because we don't have children's ministry? I understand that. I do understand that. Your kids aren't going to bother me. They're not going to bother me. If, if you think they're going to bother other people, we can talk. Try it. Because many of you have brought your kids to the first service and they were brilliant. But let's be the church. Let's be the church. The church gathered, the dwelling in the presence of God around God's people. That's what David wants in, in his house. We can't get too, too comfortable even with our conveniences. Now, we also are secure. I love this verse in verse 12. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. My foot stands on level ground. There's a security about walking in God's faithfulness. There's a security in that faithfulness. It actually is a reference to verse 1 when, when David says, I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Uh, that wavering word in the original language is slipping, without slipping. So when he says, my, feet, my foot stands on level ground, I'm not slipping. Look, when we proclaim God and we dwell in his presence with his people, we are secure. The blessing is a security that we're not going to slip up when the battle happens. We're not going to slip up in terms of, of, of misidentifying the freedoms that God wants to have for us. We are secure, and our foot is secure on level ground. And that level ground is really standing with Jesus. That's what the level ground is. So what is our conclusion? The conclusion is simple. Stop whining, pointing at myself. Stop whining and serve. Serve. Serve for the sake of the gospel, for the purpose of God in this season. So we serve, and we serve in creative ways possibly. We think about serving, and we, we strategize serving. We serve as Jesus served us by taking our sin upon himself and dying for us on that cross. Amen. Let's pray.